How's everybody doing? Yeah. It's so funny. You guys come late. I just want to let you know. I know Jack's speech is hard of heart, but I got up here and there was like four people in here. And I'm like, man, I don't know if people don't like it cold. And then I went back to put my mic on. I was like, where did all these people come from? Getting, taking the jammies off and putting clothes on. I know how it is in the morning. Um, man, I'm excited. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 15. That is where we're going to be. We have, uh, as Dave said last week, we've jumped back into the book of Acts. We were going to jump into a series, but there was some things that were going on. We're like, man, this is where we need to be just at least for the next few weeks. And then we're going to, as we jump into our Vision Sunday for our anchors here and talk about the vision for Ocean City Church in February and in March, we're going to jump into our new series. But we love being in these books of the Bible. We've been in the book of Acts early in the spring. It's a long book, so we'll kind of in our uh, teaching rhythms, we'll be in and out of the book of the book of Acts until we complete it, just like we finished Romans this last year, which was amazing. And I love being in the Word of God in this way, it's good. It's great to have a series. It's great that we did Reverb, that we've done our Ocean of Grace series, that we've, we've had multiple series here. Um, but we always come back to, um, throughout the year, these going to a book of the Bible with no series title. And to just be in the book of Acts and, or the book of, when we're in the book of Romans, you get to kind of stand in that position as leaders and teachers under the accountability of the Word of God. Like, hey, it's there. We're going to have to teach it. You know, it's there, we're gonna to have to talk about it. We're gonna to have to have that discussion. It also allows us to bring up things where you're not looking at me going, why did he say that in church? I can't believe he brought up that topic. I'm like, it was in there. I mean, we just had to talk about it. It's amazing. And I think that's the way that we're faithful to the word of God as we teach, because it's our 100%. It speaks by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's living and it's active. And man, today is so relevant. Like it's, it's funny because today is talking about food sacrifice to idols, drinking blood and circumcision. And you're thinking, well, that's not real relevant. But if you look at the context of where they are and kind of step back and see the things that they're struggling with in tensions between people, in the middle of the celebrations in the book of Acts of all of the people that are becoming Christians. Because when, you, you know, when, you're, when you're doing this, you can read this and you can see all of the, the, the Jews, the Gentiles, like Dave said last week, so many people were becoming a part of the way. Every time I say that, I think of the Mandalorian. I don't know if that's anybody. This is the way. Um, but it, a part of the way, which was the pre precursor to calling someone a Christian. But underneath all that, no matter how many structures you put together, no matter what you do, no matter how you develop things as a, as a leader, as a church planner, your organizational skills, you could structure everything. And on paper, things could look like, hey, this could never fail. And then you insert people and everything changes, right? It makes it different. And I love this is this passage is about tension in the church, a small theological problem, but one that they knew would become a huge issue down the road in the church. And it, and it kind of looks at things from two different perspectives. The church is kind of looking at the outsider's perspective, the person that's not a Christian and doesn't come to church. And they're looking at the insider's perspective. And the people that, you know, we've been traveling down this road for a long time in church and what's our vantage point and what are the problems that exist with the, the outside world? We are foreigners in a strange land, citizens of another kingdom. How do we view that? And just even thinking about that, I did some research this week looking at the, how people view Christianity. Like over the last few years, not just in 2020, because I think people, I mean, things change and things get kind of boils to the surface when there's more tension around. Um, but it, there's obviously people have some good things to say, but when you read the art and, you know, I read articles across every span from, you know, you know, just a, a liberal article to Christianity Today and Gospel Coalition. And there was kind of a consensus, honestly, on how people felt 
again, people had good feelings about the church and Christians, but at the top of the list was what it always is statistically when they do surveys, the, the hypocritical you know, banner that Christians might, that, that people think Christians are hypocritical. They create a standard and live a standard that, that they themselves don't hold. They, they kind of put this facade out there that they've figured it out. The city on a hill is not this banner of evangelism, getting in it to lead people to the same grace that you needed, but the city on a hill is this elitism and this place that we, nobody could attain. And it's this hypocritical judgment spirit. And very quickly underneath that, I just kind of compiled over the articles some phrases and some, some things. Narrow-minded, Jesus is the only way. Uneducated, redneck, delusional, um, lacking empathy, racist, discriminating, political, condescending, lacking compassion. I mean, the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. And again, this was kind of a consensus across a broad spectrum of ideologies and articles that I read when it, when, when it comes to the way that people look at the church from the outside. So there's some things that are going on on the inside. And it made me think, you know, when I, when I, when I started going to River City Church, which is our sister church, the one that planted us, um, and before I was on staff there, I remember going in the, the first time, and there was something that I felt that I thought, if I ever you go into ministry and, I, and do something like this, then I, I want people to feel and experience this because I went in there and it was something different. It's not that other churches had done, done it all wrong, but it was just my view through my lens as somebody who had just woken up to faith and somebody that was a little bit cynical about the way that people did church. There, there was no judgment. I looked around the room and there was, not only was there people from all spectrums, there was multiple Harvard grads I found out later. There was doctors, lawyers, attorneys. There was all kinds of people in the church and there was recovering alcoholics. There was people that had just come off the street. It was a beautiful display. We met in the city rescue mission. So it just created this atmosphere of a beautiful representation of church. And then the church leader didn't take himself too seriously. He was just somebody like you and me, but he took the word of God very seriously. And there was this really great balance of humor and looking. And so I, I thought through the lens of an outsider coming in, I could see around the room, including the people on stage, these people are like me. They struggle like me. They are broken like me, but they're anchored to something. They're, they're in it with something. And I thought, I never want to lose that from an outsider's perspective. And when I think about what we're looking, going to look at in this passage in Acts chapter 15, You've got to look at it from both vantage points and you'll kind of get the lens. These guys are very concerned about the gospel moving forward and they don't want to create any obstacles. So there's that, there's that outsider's perspective that says this, and I've got a couple of just ideas that we're going to traverse here today. The outsider's perspective you'll see in this article, the church can make things more difficult than they should be. When it comes to leading people, we, we exist to invite anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace that comes through Jesus. And sometimes, even unknowingly, we can make things more difficult. Our mind is not set with a lens of empathy, seeing the outside world and the people that are coming in and need Jesus just like we do. And then there's the insider's perspective. There's a problem that we have to deal with on the outside. Now, again, we are all the, the one of the big problems is that we see ourselves as insiders and outsiders when we're all broken sinners in need of a savior. Everybody on planet earth, we're on the same ground at the foot of the cross. But for the sake of our, our talking about this, we're going to look at it from an insider's, outsider's perspective. The insider, there's this thing called expressive individualism, which means come as I am, stay as I am. And I'll give you a definition of expressive individualism and a little bit of commentary. Expressive individualism is a desire to pursue one's own path 
So this is the problem that we, we have to deal with as people come to know Christians, an ideology that is relevant and very prevalent on planet Earth, especially in 2021. It's a desire to pursue one's own path and a yearning for fulfillment through the definition and articulation of one's identity. I know that's wordy, but it's the idea that I am going to be valued. I am going to feel good about myself if I get the opportunity to create my own identity. I am responsible for, I am the owner, and I am the captain of my own identity, who I am on planet Earth. It is a drive both to be more like whatever you are, so take what you are and build on that, and also to live in a society by fully, by fully asserting who you are. So not only do I have to accept myself and then continue to build on that, to build my identity through lots of different avenues, the society that I live in has to accept me the way that I am. The capacity of individuals to define the terms of their own existence by defining their personal identities is increasingly equated with liberty. So this is where freedom is found in expressive individualism. I get to be who I am, whoever I am. I just want to build on that and I can create my own identity through my successes, through my sexuality, through my race. This is the banner that I wear. I create the burden of creating your own identity lays on you. And that's one of those things, if, you, if, if we're not allowed to do that, then that's stripping people of freedom. So if we're, we're gonna tell somebody that your identity is not really solely your responsibility, it's somebody else's and under a, a different banner, then that becomes a problem in our, our world and our culture. This is prevalent, people. Like this is, this is happening right now. This is something that subconsciously or consciously is a part of our culture, it's a part of our Everything, everywhere you turn, this idea has found its way into our culture. Gospel Coalition says this about expressive individualism. Be you and be true to yourself are society's favorite slogans. The first and greatest commandments for this way of life. Expressive individualism poses a challenge for the church because God's word challenges the me with the us and then sets the us under God. The human tendency is to look inward when God's word says to look upward. We resist the upward. We resist the upward look because it implies that someone or something is above us and that someone might have authority. That is, when I read that, I was like, that is absolutely happening. Even in my own heart, we, we buck authority. It's the, it's the essence of the Garden, Eat, Garden of Eden rebellion. Expressive individual, it's so funny that we're calling it this new thing, but being the captain of your own ship, wanting to run your own life, wanting to define who you are, wanting to be somebody and be awesome through my own successes, to, for people to accept me for who I am is the goal in life. It is the thing that's always been happening. And outside of God, we, we want to engineer how to fill the void in our heart and in our lives that cannot be filled by anything else but God. Now, the balance between, so that's, that's the issue from the outside perspective. The inside perspective is we look at the outside perspective through that lens of expressive individualism and we're very wary when people approach the church. Well, you're gonna have to shed all of this garbage that you've learned on CNN before you come into church. Sorry, I'm just gonna say the news media. You could say Fox News or whatever. You're gonna to have to shed the garbage because you're a part of the kingdom of God. And we have this lens and this way of looking at the outside world. 
and we all of a sudden get our, our feathers ruffled. And what is amazing about this passage, and the, the reason I'm even talking about it, is because it's in the Word of God. They were struggling with this balance of how do we lead people to Jesus and, and, and be evangelists and allow people from all, like if the, the gospel, if it's anyone and everyone, meaning anybody, anybody on any spectrum, anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace, if this gospel is really for everyone, how does that work? Because it's going to get really messy. You've got people from all different spectrums coming into the church. So what's our, what's our lens from the outside and what's our lens from the inside? And, and this, the spectrum is this idea of legalism, versus licentiousness. So uh, what can I do? Like, is this, this what, th th these are the things, this is the list that defines Christians. And then licentiousness means, well, if we're just saved by grace, then we can just do anything. We come in, we come as we are and we stay as we are, which neither of those things are right. Creating a rule book for people to make it through the narrow gate of Jesus is wrong. And also come as you are, stay as you are, expressive individualism is not the way. So what's the real way? Well, let's look at this, this passage because you got some pretty wise guys that are dealing with a very similar problem. In verse one, it says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, I want to give some context before we even jump into this this verse and talk about what they're talking about. Cause they're saying, Hey, the people that are becoming Christians, they're going to have to follow the Mosaic law and bad news for the dudes. They're going to have to get circumcised. Right? I mean, the ladies were like, fine with me. Um, I'm just, I shouldn't even have gone there. But when you look at the book of Acts and you go back to Acts chapter 13 and 14, as Dave said, the missionary journeys of Paul, Paul's with Barnabas. And I'm talking about things are, are lighting up. Like People are coming to know Jesus and there's tension. Like the Jews, the, the, the religious people, the people that did have all the laws, they were getting very frustrated and these guys were getting booted out of towns and, and they, they, but they would preach the gospel in Gentile after Gentile, which when I say the word Gentile, that just means somebody on the outside, the outsider, somebody that wasn't Jewish was becoming a Christian, which was a new thing. And over and over again, and in 14, a guy that had been lame since, since birth was healed. And, and was walking around and people saw this and they started worshiping Paul and Barnabas. They're like, this is Zeus and Hermes. They were going crazy. And Paul and Barnabas were like, you've, you've got it all wrong. And they used the opportunity to say, it's not us. You know, all authority in heaven and earth was given to us by, by God, but we're, we're, we're nobody. I want to, we want to introduce you to the somebody that actually is somebody. And they introduced him to Jesus. And I'm talking about, it is a wave of Gentiles. So waves and waves of people are coming into the church. And Paul and Barnabas are making their way back to Antioch and they get there and this is what they're hearing. Certain people came from Judea. Now I've just given you a picture. If you, if you can get a mental map of the Middle East, you've got Antioch, which is in Syria, and then you've got Jerusalem. So if you're looking at a, at a map, you've got Antioch. And, and so they're in Antioch, which is very Gentile. I mean, there's very socioeconomically diverse, very racially diverse all over the charts. And these people before the, before the, the gospel hit it, they, they weren't Christians. These people were as pagan as they get. And now it's a church. It's one of the largest, it's funny, it's Antioch, one of the largest churches, and nobody knows who the church leader was. It's not in scripture. And I love that. Actually, the three largest churches, this is a side point, Alexandria, Antioch, um, and uh, Athens, three largest churches in the in early Christian era. And we don't know who pastored those churches. I love that. 
I, they must have been really good pastors because they released a lot of people to do ministry and they realized I'm going to shrink in light of the church. I'm going to shrink, especially in light of who Jesus is. Just a side note. But as you look at Antioch, very pagan. So Paul's making his way back to this very Gentile-based church in Antioch. And some people from Judea, which was very Jewish-oriented, which they were still a little bit kind of having a hard time letting go of some of the Mosaic law, they come over to Antioch and they see all these Gentiles living life, like normal life, like they do. And all of a sudden, they're looking at all these people saying, hey, what's going on? So they came from Judea to Antioch, teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. They're looking around, looking around and saying, this looks so much different than Jerusalem and Judaism. And it's hard for us. And so they're immediately like, what do we do? Well, we'll make all the guys get circumcised. I mean, that's what they're doing. So you get into verse two. It says, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. See, these guys have been the missionaries. And this is, I think, why missionaries get frustrated when they come to the United States. Because they see, they're like, you guys are getting... Have you ever talked to a missionary? They're like, the gospel's going forth. They're in Africa or they're in the Middle East. They're in the 1040 window. And they come back to the United States and they're like, you guys are getting caught up in all of the wrong things. And so Paul and Barnabas come back from a missionary journey and they're like, what's going on? Why is this even a dispute in the church? So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this question. So they're in Antioch, pagan land, Judea, People that want them to, you know, obey the Jewish law, come to Antioch, see Antioch, and they're like, this is a rodeo. We got to do something. And Paul's like, no, we, we, we're going back to Jerusalem. We're talking to Peter. We're talking to the apostles. We're going to get this straightened out because this is going to be a problem for the gospel moving forward. And in verse three, it says, um, the church sent them on their way and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria and they told the Gentiles they, they told as they traveled how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made believers very glad. So they were telling stories the whole way. I love it, testimonies. They're like, man, can you, you, they were on their way back to Jerusalem and they're like telling everybody, you will not believe what has happened in, in this wave of Gentiles that are coming to know Jesus. And people like the evangelists are all exploding their hearts like this is what it's all about. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done. And here we go. And then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So you can kind of see the two different viewpoints. You've got the people that are like, look at the outsiders coming to know Jesus. And then the, the insiders, the Pharisees, the ones that are having trouble letting go of their traditions, letting go of the way, that th the way things have always been, letting go of the seafoam green in the church or whatever the thing is that they want to keep there. They're going, this is making me uncomfortable. I've sat in the same chair for 75 years. I'm sorry, but they, they're, they're frustrated. And so they're like, wait a second. This is going to, we got all these people that are, they do a lot of crazy things and things need to change. And what's interesting about that, me saying that is they were right. Things did need to change, but the way they needed to change was very different than the way that they were thinking. So you can see that the problem that exists here is they were making it more difficult than it had to be. And Paul and Barnabas knew it and other people in the church knew it. Like this shouldn't be this way. If our mission is to lead people to Jesus, then we want to remove every obstacle outside of the gospel that they, so that they might come in. Like, I want to remove everything that's going to be, impede them 
in order that they might see Jesus. I don't want them to see hypocrisy. I don't want them to think that we're narrow-minded. I don't want them to think that we're uneducated. I don't want them to, to believe that we're crazy and, and we're attached to some political regime, and that's all we care about. We want a different banner. We want to remove those thoughts. We want to remove that lens from the outside world because we want to go out and lead those people to the most amazing truth ever that Jesus saves and nothing else does. That's what we want to do. So these guys feel the same way. So they get there and some of the, they, they, the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. So Paul and Barnabas bring up, the, bring up the, this issue. And so these guys are worried about the traditions. They're worried about the, the, the Judaism and the, and the law. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. He's like, hey, we realize this thing was not just, hey, we're the people of God. We're the Hebrews. We've realized that it's broken the gates and that God's intention all along was to go worldwide that this was going to be freedom available to everyone in Christ. So God knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit. We couldn't deny it. They got the Holy Spirit. They changed just like we did, just as it happened to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, being God. He purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? I love this statement is it just underline that because you know what he's saying? He's like, why are we asking people to do things that we couldn't accomplish on our own? We needed Jesus. We got to this point because we couldn't. There was 613 Levitical laws and he's looking at Thaddeus. He's looking at Matthew. He's like, hey, did you always trim the size of your beard? I mean, did you eat the llama meat or not eat the llama meat? I don't even know what we did. You know, did you do it with yoga pants or no yoga pants? We couldn't keep the law. We couldn't do it. He's saying, well, how could we possibly lay this burden? We're Jewish. We grew up in Judaism and we haven't been able to do it. How could we possibly put a burden on them that we ourselves were, could never keep? So why are we judging them? Why are we putting a yoke on them? Why are we saying the cross of Jesus Christ plus your good works? Then you can have the identity in the, in the banner and the marker of somebody as a part of the way, a Christian. He thought, no, and I love the clarity of that right in scripture. Don't put burdens on people that we ourselves could never keep. We needed Jesus. If we could get it all done, if we could be morally upright, if we could do all the things that we needed to do to get back to God, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. But he's alive today representing to you and me that we need him. He says, we believe it is through grace, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. He says, hey, it's very simple. You know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans. Ephesians 2, well, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. All of a sudden we start adding all this stuff. Somebody's gonna all of a sudden get high and mighty and go, man, I've done all this stuff. You know, I'm pretty awesome. Instead of boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ alone, so Peter's calling it out. And then James, brother of Jesus, so he's got a little bit of ground to stand on. He evaluates everything and everybody listens when this guy talks. And he evaluates everything, goes through some scripture and he says, hey, I just wanna say this as clear as I can say it. It is my judgment therefore, 
that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I don't know that it could be more clear. Don't make it difficult. Don't make it difficult. These people are trying to turn to God. We want them to turn to God. So they all get together. And, and I, you know, I, I love this passage because they all, they, there's no easy solution. So do you go back and just say, let the, let the Gentiles do what they want? No law. They just can be Christians. And we don't, we're not going to look at their behavior. We're not going to look at what they're doing. We're just going to lump them all together and watch the rodeo continue. No, they, they get together and they say, okay, we need to wisely think about how we address this with empathy, with a, a kind heart, with love. We want to send the right people. The first thing they do is they evaluate who do we send back to Antioch and who do we send back to this trail of people that have heard this news that they got to get circumcised? Who do we send to, to correct the news? Like we need, we need a good press secretary out there. You know, we fired that one. We got another one. We fired that one. I'm kidding. So we've got somebody that's a good spokesperson that can with love and empathy that can see through that lens. We're going to send them back with a letter and they're going to read it to that church so that they understand and know what's happening. So this is, this is how kind of the, the, the letter goes. And you're gonna be confused a little bit in the letter and then we're gonna break it down. So we have heard that some of you went out from us without, we have heard that some went out without authorization and disturbed you. So the, in the letter they're saying, hey, we heard some people have come to you and told all your dudes they need to get circumcised and have started to lay on you some of this law and we wanna address that. We know that it's troubled your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them out to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul. Men who have, and they make this point in the reading of the letter. You can imagine somebody's going into the church with all these Gentiles, these pagans that have lived their life a certain way. And there's somebody that's saying, hey, this is from Jerusalem. This is from, you know, the, the capital. This is from the motherland. But we wanted to read this to you because we wanted to correct some things. But they say, hey, this letter's come to you through Paul and Barnabas, who these people understood and knew, loved them, who had risked their lives in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. The letter continues. It says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Wait, there's some requirements. Dang it. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. <laughs> I love that. It's like, it, it's power packed. I mean, we, we write really long emails. There's like two words. Hey, don't eat the chopped up meat that's bloody. Don't eat the strangled stuff and don't have sex outside of marriage. Send, farewell. Um, and we would have to, we'd be like, we got to say that we better work on the email, but they did it in person. Not different than we do it. They could, they, they, there was some, you know, 70% of our communication is nonverbal. They read this. They were able to talk about it afterwards. They were able to, to, to deal with it. So the second problem, so we've got remove the obstacles, but we also have the problem that they're addressing in the letter with the requirements, the come as I am, stay as I am problem. The expressive individualism, if we're looking at it from our lens in 2021, they're like, no, the hope is, is that somebody wouldn't, if we love them well, that they, they absolutely can come as they are. But our hope is if we love them, that they wouldn't stay the way that they are, that they would actually, their identity would be in something completely different. It would be in Christ. So as we look at this, I want to, I want to break down what they, what they said. One thing was 
you've got two, basically two requirements. It sounds like a list of requirements, but you've got the, the sexual immorality thing, and then you've got the, um, the food sacrifice to idols, the blood, all of that stuff, stuff that was involved in the occult and the pagan world. So one is they had no moral compass when it came to sexuality. The Gentiles that were coming to faith in the region. I mean, they, that just wasn't a part, they, ne- they just wasn't looked upon as wrong in their previous religions and the cults they were involved in. It just wasn't wrong. So now things have changed. And this is just a wake up call to say, hey, God had an intended way. We want to lead you to life and not to death. You don't want to go down this road. This, you will do well to walk down this road. That's a loving thing to say. But then why all this requirement? I know some of you that are Bible heads are like, hey, I know that throughout scripture, they say, hey, you, your conscience is free. You know, all things, you know, the, the Apostle Paul says, hey, it's okay to, to eat the food sacrificed to idle meat. It's okay to, we're not no longer worried about that stuff. If you eat that in the market and you don't know if it's sacrificed to idle and your conscience is clear, it's fine. So I want to, I want to address that. So what they're, what they're leading them to, one is away from the occult, like drinking of blood, probably want to shut that one down, right? I mean, they're just like, hey, you know, the, the Mosaic law, circumcision, all those things, but now we're jumping into the moral side of leading people to life. And they're like, hey, you want to distance yourself from the occult, the sexuality involved with the occult, all of these things. And then when it comes to the other stuff, the, the eating of meat, they're like, hey, you want to put on a banner of love because you're amongst other Jewish brothers and sisters who haven't completely released themselves from the Jewish law. And if you want to get a cross-reference, you can write it down in your Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and in 10, the Apostle Paul addresses this. He says, your conscience can be clear, but you want to make sure that you're not messing somebody up along the way. Like you don't want to be, if, if, if you get, you're in mixed company, you got a bunch of old Gentile guys and they go to the market and, you know, they know the food was sacrificed to an idol. And then you got the Jewish guy that's just like, <gasps> you know, he can't believe it. Maybe, maybe, just maybe you should say, you know what, we're going to abstain from that. Not because I'm held by the law, because the Apostle Paul said, look, you are, everything is lawful, but not all things are helpful. And you need to be mindful of the things that you're doing around other people. We're to love each other. See, it's not just as, as simple as, yay, let, you know, Gentiles are coming and, and being saved. All of a sudden you're in, infusing them into different cultures, into a Jewish culture, into a bunch of other people that think differently, have different ideologies, are on different ends of the political spectrum. So how do we love each other? How can we concede things that are less important than the gospel in order to love our brother and sister? So they're sending this letter to, to kind of set the ground because they love them. Keeping their mouth closed and silent wouldn't be loving. So they want to say very clearly, hey, we don't want to create an obstacle that doesn't need to be there because we want people to come, but we, we want more and more people to, to wake up and understand and know that Jesus is alive from the dead and he can save. We want to remove all those obstacles, but we also want to lead them in a way that they understand that there's a new life, that there's freedom. We want to lead them to freedom. You see things, when, when, when things are put in place that you can't do anymore, you see that as slavery, but in actuality, you might be leading them away from an addiction. You might be leading them away from the darkness. So I want to look at it on the ground a little bit as we look at this passage. So we get kind of seeing the two lenses, like you got the outsider's lens of, hey, we need to remove the obstacles. We need to get things out of the way. But we also have this problem of what do we do as we address people of all different backgrounds, ideologies. We've got people that are coming out of a pagan culture and maybe coming to know Jesus or trying to figure out, maybe you're here today, you're trying to figure out the whole Jesus thing. 
And we want to look at through it through a lens and, and, and reframe maybe the way you've seen Christianity as this weirdo cultish thing where everybody has to follow rules and you're going to lose all your freedom and you're going to have to walk around and dress like you, you know, just walked out of J. Crew with a huge Bible reference. You know, I don't know. I mean, I, we want to change that view. So we want to look at it from both perspectives. Well, the first thing as we look towards the outsider and want to see things from their perspective, we want to remove obstacles. We want to remove obstacles. We don't want to make it difficult for people. And what do I mean by that? One, we got to remove judgment. And that might not be a prevalent problem here, but we want to make sure that even secondhand or subconsciously, we're not judging people. We can judge people without saying a word, just by your actions and the things that you do. Have you ever felt condemned just by walking into somebody's house? Like, I don't know why, I just feel condemned. Um, I feel less than in this moment. Um, but we, judgment can be a part of our lives and we don't even know it. And we... We have good reasons to judge. We, we think we do. It's interesting, a guy named Kerry Newoff, who was an attorney first and then became a pastor, talks about his time in law school. I want to read this story. He says, before ministry, he said, I was a lawyer. I was in my first year of law, and I remember having a crisis because I couldn't imagine representing a client that I believed might be guilty. He was going into defense law. He said, and he stayed after class one day to talk to his criminal law professor about it, and he assured me of a few things. First, if your client tells you he's guilty, you can't ethically enter into a non-guilty plea. He's like, whoo, that made me feel better. But then he told me almost every client says they're not guilty. <laughs> he said, I got nervous again. Well, what if, you, what if you think he's guilty, but he says he's not? Doesn't that create a, some tension or a huge bind that you're in? He says, I'll never forget the answer. He said, you're confusing your role, Carrie. You're not the judge. You're his lawyer. Your job is to ethically, morally, and legally to give him the best day he can possibly have in court. The judge will decide whether he's guilty or not. I felt the weight of the world was lifted from my shoulders. He goes on to say, so Christians, the world has a judge and it's not you. He's fairer than you. He's more just than you more perfect than you, and far more accurate. So we have to remove judgment because judgment will just make us look like hypocrites because the reality is, is as insiders and outsiders, there really is no inside and outside. There is all of us in desperate need of a savior and some of us are now anchored to the hope of our soul who is Jesus, who is our savior. Only difference. And when we stay in that zone, then we are free of judgment. But to also re remove obstacles, I always think about the way that we do church in general. We have a, a, a value here. And some people wonder why it's there. That's not just, doesn't sound like a very Christian thing. It just, but it matters. That's one of our values. It matters. It matters how things, I mean, well, th that means, hey, let's get rid of, if, if there's a tradition, if there's something that we're doing that's a blockade to the gospel and people hearing the gospel, we're gonna get, stop having bad music. Stop having bad lights. You know, maybe you do need to get rid of the seafoam green. We can have some seafoam green because we're ocean of grace. We're right here. You know, we're allowed. But everybody else, seafoam green should be out. You know, 1980, whatever. We have to remove some of the traditions. We want to be good at what we do. We want the people that are anchors here to actually believe that this idea of inviting anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace. So when they receive somebody's child, that's part of the process. I want people to feel like I got this. I want you to go in and experience what I've experienced. I've, I've been welcomed into the kingdom of God. I want you to be welcomed in and experience Jesus the way that I did here at Ocean City Church by the washing of the word and worship. And, and you look somebody in the eyes and you, instead of 
They didn't change them before they dropped them off. I mean, it's just a different viewpoint. And you don't think that's an important piece, but that is, that is what we're doing. As we look at Acts chapter 15, we want to remove any blockade because you have one of those experiences where you feel a little nervous dropping off your precious baby, just a little bit nervous last time you're coming. I mean, that's it. You're done. You go in and you see a little roach walking across the floor. You're like, oh, we'll never be back. No Jesus for me. I mean, that's just it. And you guys are quiet. You're like, I think I saw a roach this morning. No, I'm kidding. Just kidding. So we want to, it matters. We want to remove all of these obstacles. Also, as Christians, just, I mean, I have to say it. Don't be weird. You, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just the simple one. Just like we, we removing the, like, and I, and I apologize. If you're, if you're in, you've not, not been in church in a while, or you, you're back in church, or you've never been to church, using the, the Christianese and the Christian language, we have to think about it. We talk about it with our leadership team, like removing highfalutin language. Like, hey, brother, it's great to fellowship with you today. I mean, just to be a real dude. I mean, we want to, as we lead, as we're human beings out in the world in our workplace, you know, the, you got to think about it. It's not that we don't get together in our cubicle with the five people that are Christians and pray, but we want to be mindful when we do it. We want to think about how is everybody else viewing this? Is this going to create the best opportunity for us to share our faith or is it going to actually hamper it because it isolates people, makes people feel weird? It's having, it's, it's looking through the filter of the outsider and not just thinking this is the right thing to do in the moment, but really thinking like the apostle Paul, I'm going to be all things to all people that I might save some. To the Jew, I became the Jew. To the Gentile, I became the Gentile. To the immoralist, I became somebody that could see from their perspective without losing my bearings in Christ. To the moral person, I certainly understood who they were because I was a Pharisee. I'm going to get on the ground with people. I'm going to get off of my high horse and see things from people's perspective. And I'm going to do whatever I can that I might save some. That's what he says. That's the guy that was out there. That's why he was so frustrated. He's like, I've been a religious person. I've been a legalism guy. And man, I've experienced the gospel and, and by all means, don't let us put a burden on people that they shouldn't have. So let's remove all the, let's not be weird. Let's not do the weird stuff. I remember coming to Jacksonville and trying to find a church with my wife and we bounced around a different, she grew up Southern Baptist. I grew up in a charismatic church and then went to independent Baptist high school. I was like, you know, just all messed up. So we're trying to find a place and you go to, you know, let's go to a non-denominational church, which we're non-denominational, but sometimes non-denominational equals weird in the dictionary. I don't know why, but we went into this church and it was, you know, I don't remember how we entered or got in there. All I remember is worship started and there was like, there was a deal with a, the guy that was leading the songs and the pastor stood up there the whole time. Um, and he was full suited and booted. I mean, he was like, you know, a little bit sweaty. And all of a sudden during worship in the middle of the deal, he's, I, I'm not kidding you. He, it was like there was a jogging tramp under the stage. Like, a, like he, he had like a 37 inch vertical leap. He's just jumping up and down like this. And then he starts shouting, like shouting this like strange word, togas, togas, and bouncing up and down. And I, maybe there was something to it. I didn't, like, of course, at that point, I lean over to Beth and I'm like, hey, babe, we can't leave, like, we got to get out of here. <laughs> we can't, we can't, like, make it obvious. So you go to, you act like you're going to the bathroom and three minutes later, I'll follow. You know you've done it. You know you've done it to get out. Like, you got to escape. Don't be weird. 
Like we want to make sure, and the Apostle Paul talks about this. I'm not just saying this because it's, it's a, a, a problem. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says, hey, as you're executing church, the order of service, as you're going through your stuff, make sure you're intelligible. Yes, I love that you prophesy. Yes, that I love that you're spiritual. I, I love that the Corinthian church is into all these spiritual things. I love that you pray for each other. But always be mindful of the outsider. One intelligible word is greater than a thousand things that people don't understand. He says, let's make sure that we're explaining things. Yes, there's going to be strange things when, when the supernatural hits the natural and brokenness, weird things might happen. But you, you need to be on guard to explain what God's doing to the people that might not understand. Make sure you're thinking about the person that's just walking in, having an empathetic eye and ear. Have an ocean of grace for them to swim in. Not one where they're like, what's happening? We want to always be that way. We always want to think that way. We don't want to ever elevate politics. Like we don't want to take secondary political issues and attach them to the gospel. We never want to do that. It is a blockade. And it's not that we don't have political positions in the church. Like we have things that sit under the banner of the kingdom of God that of course we would lean in a particular direction morally. But it's not, it has nothing to do with a political party. It has to do with Jesus, only Jesus, the kingdom of God that he's leading us into. But if the things that we're posting and the things that we're saying in conversations with friends, if we're not thinking through the lens of, is this leading people closer to Jesus? Like think about the most, like somebody on the most extreme end of whatever political view you, you are on. And then here you are as a Christian and they're, they're, they're pretty far away. They're not a Christian. This is what they believe. This is their, their whole ideology. And then all of a sudden you start to talk about your political views, secondary political issues, that maybe you have a beef, but is this the moment? Is this the time on Facebook to make everybody know how right you are? I've got to stand on the truth. The apostle Paul would disagree with you. He would say, meet people where they are. Sometimes it's good to be quiet. Wait for your opportunity not to lead them to your political party, but to lead them to Jesus. We can't elevate. You talk about an obstacle that's sitting in the church right now. It's an obstacle and we need to shed it. We need to take it off. It needs to fall to the ground. It, is, it has been fostered by the enemy himself. And he says, let's put this banner on these people and nobody will want to come to faith except their happy little club. We need to get rid of it. We need to have a mind. We, that needs to shrink to such a degree in the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus himself in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, in our activities needs to rise to such a level that people, when they see us, they don't even think about politics. All they see is the blazing light of Jesus. Just tearing across the sky, as it says in Philippians chapter two. It'd be like lights across the sky. That's what we want people to see. We need to re-engineer the way that we do things and the way that we think, remove the obstacles. We wanna be the ocean of grace. We wanna think about church in a whole different way. Andy Stanley says this, he says, every church struggles with this drift as they plant the church and as they move forward. It begins with a passion for outsiders and drifts towards pacifying insiders. And I've said this many times, we do not wanna become settlers. We have always been called to be pioneers. In the very beginning, that's all you're thinking about. 
is when more and more people, more and more people coming to know Jesus, more and more people are part of the family, waking up to understand and know that this is the best thing ever. And then all of a sudden it come, becomes about how everything's, you know, what's our church structure? How do we do this? You know, is, is this, you know, how, what, oh, we got this, you know, feedback email. We might need to change things. I don't know. They were really offended by this. Maybe we need to keep this. Maybe we have to wait on the evangelism thing that we were doing and make sure that we got do that. We got, we got to launch 18,000 Bible studies first because, you know, people are coming and saying, I want a church that meets my spiritual needs which is spiritual consumerism, by the way, if that's the way you're rolling into church. I'm coming in, I need a church that meets my needs. The church doesn't exist to meet your needs. It is for the glory of God and for the outside world that does not know Jesus. We come in and we make something in our church world that, that really shouldn't be there. It doesn't exist for you. It's one of the reasons that we've established city groups the way that we have. It's one of one of the gateways, one of the doorways, the wide doorways so that people could find the narrow gate. The city group is a way that people find their way into church and get connected to family. And all of a sudden, if we make the, our own city group about us and what we need, then all of a sudden we forget about all these people that are coming in from the outside that have signed up for city groups that are trying to figure out their faith and they wanna be a part of the family of God. They want somebody to disciple them and to lead them. And all of a sudden we, we're like, oh, we want it this way, we want it this way, this is, this is what we do. Oh, a new person, I want a new person in my group. You know what I mean? It's the opposite of what we want. It's, it's, it's not built that way. That's not, we wanna think through a lens that is not our own. Have empathy for the outsider. This message is life and death. It's what God's called us to do. No other message should get in the way of the primary message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he's alive, that he died, and he took care of something that we couldn't take care of. But we also need to lead people to freedom. We also need to lead people to freedom. Being quiet as people find their way, come as I am, stay as I am, is not what we want to lead people. That wouldn't be loving. In, in terms of expressive individualism, as, as people find their way, do we just kind of let people roll in and never say, hey, maybe you need to think about this. Maybe when it comes to your identity, and individualism says that I'm responsible for creating, claiming, and earning my own identity. That sounds like a prison to me. I wanna lead them to the freedom of understanding your identity is no longer something you create for yourself. Your identity is no longer in your sexuality. Your identity is no longer in your race. All those things are a part of who you are, but you're selling yourself way short. You're a child of God. You are, a, like Gerald said, you are now a brother and a sister. You are now a son and a daughter. You're no longer an I, you're a part of a we and you're under God. It's changed and that's the road to freedom. Instead of sitting on the fragile identity building, I can't imagine living my life from this point forward trying to continually create an identity for myself. It's fragile at best. I wanna stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and my identity, eternal approval by the King of the universe because I'm saved. I wanna lead people to that thought. And everything that people do to grab hold of more of their self-building identity, I wanna lead them away from. So we do wanna open our mouth and say, hey, this is probably not something that we should attach to our lives. We see it here in scripture as the word of God leads us. Love is not silent. I mean, imagine if my kid was running towards the street and I just stood there and go, I just, you know what? They need to be who they are. 
No, I'm going to scream, I'm going to fight, I'm going to claw to drag them back into a place of safe and solid ground. Love confronts. Love has difficult conversations. I've heard so many times somebody says, I get in those conversations. I just think we should, but I don't understand why this is even a conversation anymore. Why should we say anything? Why should we, why should this even be a topic? I'm going to stay away from that. I'm, going to be, I'll, I'm not going to confront. It's not, it's not a loving way. Take what you believe and lovingly be bold with people as you lead them. Again, with an empathetic ear. That's why these guys were wise. They didn't just pop off and say, here's all your rules. They sent somebody to lovingly say, hey, we want to show you the better way. Lead you to life the way that God intended it. I love this, this idea, and I wanted to put, put it on the screen, that Jesus loves you so much that he meets you right where you are. That's not it. But he loves us too much to let us stay there. Such a beautiful idea and simple way to hold on to these two perspectives. No matter where you come from, no matter what brokenness, no matter what your story is, you are welcome. You can come in. We want to be that as a church. We know that our faith is that way. Anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace. But we also want to be a people to, that, that doesn't let people stay in the grave. Stay bound up by the grave clothes. Because that's not the way that Jesus would do it. Jesus doesn't say change because it's required. He says change because that's where you'll find freedom. Jesus doesn't say that you have to do it. He says that you get to do it in our joy. The church doesn't lay on you a burden. It allows you to express horizontally the vertical grace that's been given to you out to the world. It's not like I gotta go evangelize. It's like I can't not talk about Jesus who saved my soul and changed my life. It's a beautiful privilege. And so if you're, if you're here today, if, if you're an outsider looking in, my hope is that you understand and you know that there's no requirement for you to come in. My hope would be is that you would come in and that God would change your heart. We're, we're, it's not our jobs to transform you. Jesus does that. So whatever you come in with, whatever brokenness, whatever sin, whatever, whatever issue, whatever problem, all we lead people to do is to open up their hands and say, you know what? This is the most important thing to me. This is the banner of my identity. This is the thing that makes me me. This is the thing that I've held on to. This is the, this is the community that I've been attached to. These are the people that I've been a part of. And I'm very terrified to let go of that. And all we're saying is open up your hands and lay it before Jesus and allow him. Don't close your fist on it. But in terms of coming to his feet, there's no requirement. Since past, present, future are annihilated by the cross of Jesus Christ. So in your repentance, none of that matters. It's in the past. It is part of the story of redemption. And because God is so powerful and Jesus' work is so powerful, he, he comes and he heals, he restores. He can do it physically. He can do it spiritually, change you from the inside out. Let's stand. God, we just ask that you just come in your power. God, we come to have our hearts illuminated, to, to shine a light on things that we don't think about, but also shine a light on our need for you. 
that you are capable to heal our brokenness. You are capable of leading us through this broken world. In Jesus' name.